Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, and today's devotional is being recorded in Israel, in Tiberias, Israel, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, this is being recorded a few days ahead of time of when it's been posted, but we're here in, in Israel, and Beth and I have had a couple of days of wonderful experiences. We've been to see Capernaum and Magdala and Caesarea and Harmagedo and Nazareth and Cana. Uh, it's just been a wonderful trip so far, so we appreciate everyone who's been praying for us and uh, look forward to sharing stories and insights when we get back. But today it's day 493 of our three-year journey through God's Word, and it brings us to Acts chapter 16. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for being faithful to us, for loving us, for giving us your word, for giving us time together in your word each day. We pray that you bless our time and that you would help us to have insight into your word by your Holy Spirit and write it on our hearts and help us to respond in faith and obedience, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. By the way, the poster thing on the wall behind me is the kind of boat on the Sea of Galilee that we went out on. Uh, two days ago, or yesterday, I guess, and uh, it's, it's the same size and shape of the fishing boat that Jesus and the disciples likely traveled the Sea of Galilee in because they unearthed a first century fishing boat several years ago, and there's they've sort of pieced it together, and so they have a good idea of the size and shape, and it's it's a bigger boat than you probably would would imagine. You can easily see, you know, 13 guys uh being on the boat and even, you know, working fishing nets and, you know, having other things going on on the boat for sure. But anyway, Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for, <clears throat> for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women 
who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrate, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. 
So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Well, that's Acts chapter 16. Uh, the, the Really the establishment of the church at Philippi, which would become one of the dearest churches to the Apostle Paul, one of the most steadfast and faithful churches in ministry partnership, and of course, the recipients of one of his best known letters in the book of Philippians. So this tells us how the church at Philippi was planted, and it it's unusual. It's the leading of the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't fit with sort of normal human patterns and expectations, but God is at work doing unusual things. So first of all, Paul and Silas are continuing to ministry, uh, continuing to minister, and they're joined by Timothy. Timothy's mom is, is a Jewish woman who's a believer in Jesus. His father's Greek. He's not been circumcised because his father's Greek. And Paul and, and Silas had had this pattern of taking the gospel first to the Jews, as Paul says in Romans 1:16. I'm not afraid of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's a power of God for salvation first for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. So Paul had this pattern in ministry. He would go on his mission. He would go into a new town. He would find the synagogue or where the Jewish people were gathered to pray, and he would go and share the gospel with them first, and then he would go to the Gentiles. Well, the Jewish people in the synagogue would be upset to hear from someone who was the the son of a Jewish woman, but whose father was a Greek and who was uncircumcised. In fact, as someone who was uncircumcised, he wouldn't even be allowed into the synagogues to present anything from the Lord. And so that was a sort of non-starter with the Jewish community for him to be uncircumcised. And so they decided to have him circumcised. This doesn't mean that Christians ought to be circumcised. This doesn't mean that the Old Testament Mosaic law of of ceremony and ritual and cleanliness that that applies to Christians today. They did this for an evangelistic purpose because they wanted to be able to gain an audience with Jewish people. Uh, later we find out that Titus was not uh, circumcised even though he was actively involved in ministry and in fact in the book of Galatians Paul goes so far as to say neither circumcision nor, nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It just not meaningful spiritually anymore because it's been fulfilled in Christ. All of the ceremonial aspects of the law, the ritual cleansings, the dietary laws, the food laws, circumcision, all of those things, holy days and festivals and feasts, they've all been fulfilled in Christ. Christ has fulfilled all of that. He's made us holy before God. He's made us clean. He's fulfilled the law for us in such a way that those things are no longer binding on us. We still keep the moral law of God because the moral law of God reflects the moral character of God and is part of how God conforms us to Christ, but not the ceremonial law. So this was done as an evangelistic strategy. And then the Holy Spirit very specifically guides Paul, Silas, and Timothy to go across from Asia Minor to Macedonia, which is the northern part of Greece. Very specific and very clear leadership from the Holy Spirit to go there. And when they go there, they start looking for a Jewish community, some sort of synagogue. Apparently there was no synagogue in Philippi. Instead, on the Sabbath day, on Shabbat, they go outside and they look for where 
there might be a place where Jewish people are gathering on the Sabbath day to pray. If there's a small community of Jewish people, not big enough to form a synagogue, this is how they would, would, would function. And they found a place near the riverside that seemed like it would be a likely place for people to gather and pray. And there they meet Lydia. Lydia is a woman of means. Uh, she apparently is unmarried and is, has her own business. So this, is, this is kind of an unusual person in the ancient Roman world. A woman who is single, who has her own business, is a woman of means, and is a worshiper of God. So although she's not Jewish herself, she is a God-fearer, someone who worships the one true God. And so she becomes the first convert to the Lord in all of Greece, really in all of Europe, that's recorded in the book of Acts. And so that's, that's pretty great. But then soon after that, they have this troubling encounter with this slave girl. And this shows us so much about human nature. At first, this slave girl who's really demon-possessed, um, and the, the demon who possesses her empowers her to be able to do some things that are able to make her, her owner some money. And again, she's a slave. And the owners have her really just for the purpose of making money from her. After being harassed by her, being followed around all the time, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. After so much of that, they, they decide, we just can't do this anymore. Uh, we, we're casting this demon out of this girl and we are going to, um, we're going to, you know, set her free. Well, her, her owners aren't happy about that because they've lost their source of revenue. Uh, and this was something that we need to see as a pattern in scripture and a pattern among human nature. And that is that people, when God doesn't benefit them, have no patience for God. They don't want God in their lives if God is going to cost them something or if God is not going to benefit them in some way. Uh, and that's a, a really significant truth that we learn in scripture and we can also see in human nature and so there's a crowd that's gathered together and they are thrown into prison and so they're thrown into prison and it's there that they have this wonderful encounter with this philippian jailer and this is surely one of the most famous stories in all of the book of acts uh, paul and silas in prison in philippi praying and singing hymns to God about midnight and great earthquake and the chains fall off and the doors are opened up. Now the jailer, he's, he's a Roman jailer. He's someone who's tasked with securing prisoners and if he lets prisoners go, he dies. That's why he's ready to kill himself because the penalty for a jailer to allow prisoners to escape on his watch is the death penalty. And so he's about to kill himself when Paul prevents it. And then this wonderful, simple, direct question and answer, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, Well, you need to be circumcised and you need to keep the law of God. And No, they didn't say any of that. They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Beautiful, succinct, clear, direct. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. God has made covenantal promises to be a God not only to us but to our children after us. 
And if we embrace the Lord and we bring our children up and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, it's not an absolute promise. It's a conditional promise. It you know, depends on faith in the child and, and, and God's grace working in them in a particular way. But this is a promise of God that he will be the God of our children after us. And that's why they could say to him, you will be saved, you and your household. They went and spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And they were all baptized, he and all of his family. And he feeds them and they rejoice along with his entire household. He rejoices. I love this language at the end of verse 14. He rejoices along with his entire household that he had believed in God. It's one of the clear cases. There's about four household baptisms in the New Testament. This is one where there's a household baptism and the only person who explicitly comes to faith is the head of the household, the Philippian jailer. They hear the word of the Lord. They're glad, but they're glad that he has believed in God. It doesn't tell us that the whole household believes in God. It's explicit in not saying that, in saying that he's the one who has believed. And so the whole household is baptized on the testimony of faith of the Philippian jailer. And then the magistrates come and they want this whole thing to go away. They want to sweep it under the rug because they're politicians and that's what politicians do. So they send the police to say, hey, go ahead and get out of here, guys. But Paul says, no, this is wrong. We are Roman citizens. You beat us publicly. We're not, we've never been condemned of a crime. Now, Philippi had the distinction of being a Roman colony in that everybody who was born in Philippi was given the right of Roman citizenship. They prized it greatly. So everyone in that town understood the rights and responsibilities of Roman citizenship. And one of the rights of a Roman citizen is that you could not be beaten without a trial. If you weren't a Roman citizen, eh, they could arrest you and beat you and just without a trial, without you being found guilty of anything. But for a Roman citizen, you had that right. And these people in Philippi would have known that very well. And so they very uh, carefully come and they apologize and they let them out and they ask them to please leave the city. So they go out and they encourage the brothers first. They're trying to build up the church and then they depart. And what's amazing is that even in the, you know, the next chapters of Acts, within a very short period of time, this little church that just got started in Philippi becomes a gospel partner with the Apostle Paul. They send him help when he's in Corinth and they become a supporting, a missionary supporting church very early on in their own experience with the gospel. This is one of the best pictures we have in the book of Acts of a biblically planted church and the power of the gospel to change hearts and to bring together what an odd assortment of people, right? A woman who has her own business and sells purple cloth, probably an upper middle class businesswoman, a slave girl, a jailer and his household, this is not a group of people that anybody would put together, but Jesus has brought them together by his gospel. And that's the power of the gospel at work. God creates a new family, a new household, a new kingdom from people who otherwise would have basically nothing in common. We need to have this vision and this passion for the gospel and for gospel community within the church today. I pray that God would grant that to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is truth and power. Write it on our hearts. Help us to live it. Help us to love your church. Help us to love your gospel. Help us to have a gospel-shaped community in the church and to be committed to fellowship 
and discipleship, encouraging one another and supporting those who are in mission for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that was Acts chapter 16, and looking forward to being back together with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow should be, if all goes well, another devotional recorded here in Israel. Uh, God bless you, and have a blessed day in the Lord.